This is such an uncomfortable. Are you in a closet? Are you in a room? Where are you? Initial setup was on this nightstand, and I was going to be sitting on the bed facing the door, so not the foot of the bed, and like not have a back. But I was like, fuck it, I'll just rearrange the room. And I have got a little stand for my mic that it turns out is way too far, so I have to hold the whole thing. And it's got this like precariously perched pop filter off the back of the mic, and it's super heavy because it's got this weighted bottom right here. It's freaking terrible. (laughs) So. If you're gonna hold the mic, why don't you take the bottom off? Can't you, doesn't that just twist off? It's such an ordeal. I gotta unrig the whole uh, thing it's clipped to, and like, why remove the thing that allows you to complain when you could just complain? That's what I yeah, say. Yeah, I, I understand. Sometimes you don't want a solution; you just want to complain. I I totally get that. I also did appreciate the alliteration of precariously perched pop filter. I'll be remembering that for the rest of this recording. Listen, I hate alliteration, but sometimes you just gotta do it to them. What? 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 You, what? Who hates alliteration? No, it's a, it's just a, a long time bit that whenever somebody accidentally alliterates, I'm like, no alliteration. Accidentally alliterates? Oh, <laughs> busted! <laughs> Actually, always yeah. accidentally alliterating. Always accidentally assinating, since those are That's vowels. Me. It's a, it's a long time bit. And I'll scream. It's like when I say Glappendorp or whatever, and Nick screams Whoa, at me. Language. Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> Just a bit. Who knows the origin of it? You know my students listen to this podcast now, and you just said Glappendorp on the air? Canceled. <laughs> oh, you're doing the bit. You're doing the bit. You're doing the bit. You're in on he it He catches now. on. He yes anding. Come on. Part of me was like, oh, shit. Am I actually saying something offensive? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> He's in on it. Good. I needed that laugh. That was good. I'm a little slow sometimes. All right. What are we talking about today? We doing uh, just shit we've been playing? Yeah, basically, I I scrolled through some of the my news sources, and uh, it's dire out there. There's nothing. It's everyone is talking about rumors of hardware, which is you know evergreen. It is eternal. It is no no week without a rumored PS5 Pro or you know new Switch or whatever the Asus handheld thing. It's like a Steam Deck, but more expensive. Yeah. You know, like whatever. It's you know, it's news technically, but what all can we really glean from that? I don't know. Fake news. There's some there's some news that uh, we're not going to talk about. Shut <laughs> up. Yeah. You've, been, you've been gaming. So, I mean, let, regale us with the tales of your of your tantalizing technical achievements. I don't know. I'm trying, yeah, I'm yeah, really trying. You tried. You tried for the alliteration. That's okay. We didn't even properly intro. That's okay. That's what. That's whatever. <laughs> don't be such a Gloppendorp, Nick. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You talk to your students with that mouth? Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing other than like trying to get through Metroid so we'll, we can do our podcast next next week or two weeks or whatever it's going to end up being. It's going to be a weird week because we're all at the coast together this weekend. And so like, who knows what will come of that. But uh, other than the South Park games, I'm trying to like think if there's anything further back that I played that is relevant to talk about. I don't think so. Uh, I've been the last like month I've been up and down and up and down and Spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house because she's been down for the count. And so haven't been playing as much, but I did bring my PlayStation with me and and I platinumed back to back both South Park games. I played the Fractured But Whole, the second game, first because I played the Stick of Truth like eight years ago, right? 
Nick, I know you played Stick of Truth. Correct. It was sort of like Paper Mario for adults. We talked a little bit about it on the 100 episode. You kind of gave me shit for even considering it for the top 100. Uh, in retrospect, I do not feel bad about bringing it up given some of the things that made the list. It could have it could have sat there if you had actually you know played it and had a, a, f- a formed opinion on it. But I just like I played it and was like, yeah, that's a good game. But like, it didn't leave as much of an impression on me as many other games on the sure. list. So I, I don't feel bad about leaving it off, but it definitely could have sat there. I agree. Like, lives in a weird spot for me because, well, first, okay, I'm curious. Are you a South Park guy in general? Did you grow up with South Park in high school? Were you into it? Have you ever been into it? I didn't grow up with it. I have seen episodes. I've watched it, but I I was more into Family Guy than I was ever into South Park. And I wasn't even like really into Family Guy. I was more just like, Futurama is awesome. I watched that on Netflix, but that was like the kind of the cartoon comedy, like adult comedy show that I really gravitated towards. South Park, I always thought was pretty funny, but just didn't, I didn't seek it out. Same. I love how many times you leaned in just to get that one word in. I'm here. I'm paying attention. (laughs) So growing up, South Park was always like the forbidden fruit. It's Friday night, so you're staying up a little late and you're flipping through the channels and Comedy Central is on and you're like shit, I hope mom and dad don't catch me with this on because then they'll make me turn the TV off kind of thing. And like South Park, it's so weird because South Park is not a particularly like evergreen thing. It's really hard to watch an episode from 1997 unless you were really aware of the happenings in pop culture at the time. But the thing about that franchise and the way that they have like come to develop their show and they're like they're producing episodes literally every week. You know, I think there's the documentary Six Days to Air because of that, it's always sort of touching these hot button issues in society. And so watching newer episodes, things that I've been a little more cognizant of uh, as an adult, really getting South Park, even though like it's still not one of those things that I've dived into super deeply. But for some reason, these games just really appealed to me. I don't know why, because it's just like shitty, pun intended, but like just it's bad fart humor and like a lot of inside jokes at this point because it's been 20 years of this franchise. But I still found myself so addicted to both of these games. And I platinum both of them in like probably 10 days. So anyway, to set the stage, that's kind of what I deep dived on. The, dude, those are like really competent RPGs. And and the, the, they're quite different. And Nick, I know you had said something about how like, like the first one is widely regarded as being better than the second one and i understand why and i think a lot of that is from people who are like really into the show but as someone who really didn't have a lot of that background and playing the second game first and then going back to the first one and seeing what a dramatic difference there is both in like all the game systems from from combat to the upgrade level up system, the buddy system, the way you interface with the world. Uh, both games have different systems for minor platforming, solving puzzles, getting to A to B, and you use all your buddies' different abilities. It was shocking to me what a step back going back to that first game was. But Nick, I know you played the first one, and so you know like the combat was basically Paper Mario. Choose one of your two attacks, basically hit A at the right time or B if you're doing a heavy attack and like sort of the active battle system, very simple, like columns of enemies on the other side. The second game did like a grid based thing, which was it 2018. This game came out. Sounds right. I think the first game was like 15 or 16. 
I think it was 13. Maybe even older. Was it? Oh my God. Was it? Yeah, I think it was 13. Son of a bitch. Dude, I found the combat in the second one to be to be much more challenging. Yeah, the first game was not challenging at all. It was more just a thing to do. It was a delivery mechanism for the jokes. Right. And and it, the battles in the first game didn't overstay their welcome. Like you right. never felt like you were like, oh God, another battle. Like it didn't feel grindy. You kind of just got to go from point to point B. Exactly. Experience the jokes, experience the story, and then a couple of big boss battles that were more just jokes and uh, like references to the show like fight my man bear pig and like that kind of shit you know it's exactly what you expect <laughs> yeah going back to it after the first one or the second one because I, th- I thought the second one was a little grindy i was a little annoyed with the combat and i was thinking man i don't remember feeling this way when i played the first one i thought the first first time i played the first one all those years ago i was like this game is like a little too long yeah i was like i want to say like 20 hours was my play time like around there that sounds right I can't imagine you were going like full completionist, right? Trying to get all the uh, chimp Pokemon and all the friending everybody on Facebook. I, I wasn't like, you know, obsessive about it. I didn't sweat what I didn't get. You know, like you were tr- probably following like a guide to make sure you didn't miss the the missable ones on the spaceship or whatever. So for the first game, whenever I'm starting a game with the intent of like platinuming it, I I look up the platinum guide just to make sure like are there any missable trophies? What's the difficulty? Is it worth my time? What's the estimated time? And if there's no missable trophies, then I'll just go in and play blind and just sort of get that whole experience, right? Which is like how I want to experience my games. Like Chris, I know we had talked about briefly uh doing the God of War platinum. I was following a guide for the last collectibles and dude, that last couple hours was brutal brutal and there's like no no good way to do it right either like reading paragraphs of shit and you're like i just need better bullet points or watching a video did i not send you there's a website and god i think it's ign that they have a i'm I'm sorry that you're just hearing about this now because i did my platinum well no i beat you to the platinum even though i started the game so much later but i ign's website has a map of each uh, realm that you can select and deselect every single different type of collectible based on the ones you need to look for. And when you click on it, it gives you an image of exactly where it is on the overworld uh, with it circled. And it also gives you a brief text description of how to get to that place. Um, That simplified this immensely for me when I was getting those last couple things. Yeah. When I, when I was going through it initially, I like wasn't really going for collectibles because I didn't think that I would be platinuming the game. It was, I started that game sort of before Warzone died and before I sort of got the bug to start doing that. Right. Oh, that <laughs> sucks. That's way different then. Cause you probably had to go back for a hell of shit. I was going back for so like much. five or six things. I mean, oh, like no. I, I find a lot my first playthrough. Cause you, you guys know how I do. Like I'm team side quest <laughs> forever. Yeah. God of war was always one of those games that like, I just want to roll credits on the story. Of course, I didn't realize how much I was missing this time in the side quests. Whereas the first game didn't oh, yeah. really have that to the same degree. So I'm glad I got to experience the whole game, but like, yeah, I went back and followed a uh, a video guide, and he sort of goes through every collectible in random order, like not like here, go to this place and then go to this path and go to this path. It would like crossfade between items, so then I had to like reorient and find where it was a nightmare. So anyway, I don't like doing that. So on Fracture but Whole, I just played through the game. Luckily, there was like so in the first game, you have to collect every. Uh, you're adding friends on Facebook throughout town, right? And you have to get 
every single one. I think the trophy is uh, there's one that's pop, more popular than Jesus, and then there's one that's more popular than John Lennon, and, and that's for getting all the friends in town. And there's a ton of missable ones. The second game, you're getting selfies with people, and you know, of course, you're fulfilling certain uh, uh, criteria and doing certain objectives before someone will be willing to take a picture with you, and and it's all part of the flavor of this stupid world. But thankfully, there was n- like nothing annoying like that. No, nothing missable. Everything could be done after the game. Thank God, so I could just do at my own pace. Combat felt really grindy. It was a lot more difficult because of the sort of grid-based system. And there, there's new party system where you have a party you can build of yourself and then three uh, other uh, superheroes, which is the theme of the second game. And so it's a lot deeper as far as like actually having to think about party comp and finding different people who who work well together and thinking about boss encounters more sort of methodically like I know I'm all over the map with this game, uh, but, but there's a, a end game or post game battle where you fight Morgan Freeman who runs a taco shop, uh, which I'm assuming is an inside joke on the show. I don't know, but the difficulty spike is extreme. One does not simply fight Morgan Freeman. Well, you do. If you, if you uh, fart on him three times, he will get mad and attack you <laughs> is that sounds, wait, sounds wait, wait wait yeah. wait hang on i have questions is yeah. that like is that like, yes. is that like mapped to a specific button that you can just fart on the overworld or is it like oh yeah half the achievements are from farting on things it's just so i i went to steam and i looked at my playtime. it was 15 hours so pretty brief and i got 18 of the achievements and a lot of my achievements i didn't get were like fart related like farting on 25 animals or knocking over three things with a fart like you know it's it is asinine in every regard asinine some of those type of achievements bother me because i want trophies and achievements to enhance the experience give me another objective and to me trophies that require me to do something that i would never do without having to look up a very specific weird thing or trophies that are just 25 animals or 10 enemies that have already been downed or whatever. And it's like, it's not a challenge and it's not something I would normally do in a playthrough. It's just sort of an obnoxious extra thing. So I don't love that about the first game's trophy list, but, but anyway, um, Chris, the whole conceit of this game, like the whole like mechanic, both games are built around uh, as far as your player character goes, is that he has super ass powers and in the first game, medieval sort of based cross between an Elder Scrolls game, game of and Thrones D&D. and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not D anD D, but uh, World of Warcraft. It was was sort of what spawned the whole premise of that game. There was a really famous episode uh, in the mid two thousands about World of Warcraft. I've never actually even seen the episode, but I've seen the clips everywhere. It's like was such a one of those things that was so ingrained in pop culture for so many years. But anyway. Uh, so that carries over into this game, and you have more fart powers. And so some of those are used to, again, interact with uh, and solve puzzles in the overworld. And some of them are just like super attacks that you can use in battle. Um, so anyway, it's just like a silly, raunchy game. It's totally dumb. Like the way that they take all of these tropes from the games that we've spent our whole lives playing like very seriously and either outright making fun of them or sort of 
I don't want to go so far as to say subvert our expectations because <laughs> it's not that serious. But yeah, they flip convention on its head in order to like to, to fuck with it. And that I find funny. I really liked some of how some of the humor and how smart it was in the first game in particular when you get to Canada and it literally becomes an 8-bit Dragon Quest slash yeah. Final Fantasy RPG. <laughs> and you're like walking around and it's got like all the sounds and everything. Like that's just so funny. And like it it fits in with South Park making fun of Canada for no reason. It's just something to make fun of. And it's funny. Like we all can get in on it. It's not like mean spirited. It's just like, oh, those Canadians are so weird. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. And again, how much of it was baked into 20 five years of the show and how much of it was them just like using video games to make fun of video games. You know, I don't know, but like it's cute. I enjoyed it. I think it's both. And especially since uh, Matt and Trey were pretty involved with the first one to its benefit and detriment as far as that game took forever to come out. Right. Cause it was being made by THQ and then obviously that happened and then Ubisoft picked it up and yeah, I mean, very troubled development. That was another obsidian joint as well. So They've got a track record of having trouble getting games to the finish line and getting games ripped for, out from under them. I remember the first game being way more polished than than it was when I went back to it. And of course, contrasting to the newest game, I probably had a way bigger budget, way more competent. Literally everything from the graphics to the uh, the UI, the battle system, the party system, all the different types of gear uh, and the way that actually like mattered it was just, it was shocking to me how much better it was. And I remembered what you had said, Nick, about how, you know, it's pretty universally understood that the first game was better. And I went and looked at reviews and you're right. Like, like Fractured But Whole did not review better than Stick of Truth. I think Stick of Truth's mid eighties, Fractured But Whole is like 83 ish, whatever that means, a two point difference. And I wonder if it's just the South Park shtick that sort of grates on people. If you're not like a South Park fan, I think a sequel to a South Park RPG being another South Park RPG is a little bit less novel at that point. Right. I adore these games. They're just challenging enough. There's just enough collectibles. Uh, if you're a achievement hunter, the trophy lists are, uh, the trophy list is really good in the second game, less so in the first game, unless you're like a real sicko. There's like literally stuff you miss in the first 60 seconds of the game. And if you miss it, you literally have to play the entire game over and a hundred percent it from the beginning. So it's like, you really don't want to fuck around if you're an achievement hunter and make sure you're following a guide. But I would love a third game in this franchise. And I don't know what they would do next. Would it, would it be star Wars, star Trek mashup? Yeah, probably. Cause I mean the whole thing with stick of truth, I think, cause it, I think it followed like a season of television also that was, you know, very based on, Game of Thrones and that being the pop culture phenomenon of the time. I mean, it came out 2014 and then Fractured But Whole, the whole marketing campaign kicked off of Cartman talking about phases of their superhero franchise that they're creating. Yeah, yeah. Like, it gets, it's one-to-one, obviously making fun of Marvel and Disney and that kind of thing. So I guess that's the other big, like, that's the other big media property. Or they would do a multiverse. Like, it would be the South Park multiverse and they would just do multiverse stuff whatever that means yeah they, they could potentially do but also it's, it's been a long time the first i just looked at the first game came out in 2014 uh fracture behold came out in 2017 so it's already been six years which is twice as long as the span between those two games which feels not real <laughs> i think the creators have said that they don't want to do another game unless it's a 3d 
game and what that looks like, we don't know. Is that, you know, I don't, who fucking knows? That would be weird. South Park of the Wind Waker. Right. We're really leaning into the Elder Scrolls thing, do an open world South Park game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I really like the story beats of, of the second one better because it was, you know, something that I'm much more invested in, like outside of video games or was invested in anyway. But like, yeah, Marvel movies being as present as they have been in my life over the last decade. Um, and and they they rip them to shred. It's it's really fucking funny how they everything from like the phases and the way they plan things. And, and they brought in like there's a whole bit about like uh, it's like a days of future past rip off and like you're you're fucking with time and. I just am a sucker for that kind of stuff. And when it's all tongue in cheek and just giving a middle finger to how serious those types of franchises take themselves, that's great. Nick, do you, do you have any recollection of, of like your thoughts at the time of the soundtrack in Sick of Truth? Nothing sticks out. I do not have any memory whatsoever of the music except for it becoming 8-bit when it was in the 8-bit region and that being funny. <laughs> yeah. But that yeah. was just part of the bit. Like, Was it just like some bombastic kind of orchestral kind of vibe like because that was like the thing they were trying to do was like lord of the rings game of thrones you know that kind of right they were trying to do skyrim basically and i don't know i'm of two minds about it i really love the music in both of these games it's way better than a south park game has any right to be the second game obviously being like it's that really modern cinematic over the top well, staccato violins <laughs> right you know what i get when i think of mcu music i think of like nothing <laughs> well it's it's well it's very generic it's for a, a reason it's a non-factor it's 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 embarrassing like you get to you get to a movie like civil war at the time or and then later of course something like infinity war and uh and endgame where just imagine a world where the scores for these movies aren't so goddamn generic and we can get like during the big airport fight in Civil War, like strains of Spider-Man's theme when he's swinging in and strains of Captain America's theme and strains of Iron Man's theme and strains of all these things so that it actually can reinforce the storytelling and not just be like, you said, Nick, big bombastic orchestral like schlock. Never been a single good Marvel score. I mean, they they do have that. It's just that none of the themes are distinct and memorable. So when they do what you're talking about, it all just sounds like the same thing because it's like 30 different types of rice and it's like, well, that's, when you make a big bowl of it, it's just a bowl of rice. Like you, you don't actually have a meal there. Soundtrack and score are different, but like you think of something like Thor or Guardians, and it's a, you think of the soundtrack, right? And that's just a playlist, exactly. <laughs> it's all boomer rock. Oh, whatever. I thought, uh, I thought Civil War in particular had, dude, the the Iron Man versus Captain America. I don't know what the, if it's a theme or, but there's a there's a motif that they revisit a ton in that movie that I think is brilliant. Um, I love the Captain America theme. Like there's plenty that I can like recall off the top of my head, but we use the term generic. It's samey. Nick, you said it. It's 30 types of rice because it kind of all has to feel like it belongs in the same sort of, I want to say like literally the same universe, like these characters are in, but like these movies are all coming from the same place and doing the same thing. So they all kind of need to feel like they, they belong together. But, but anyway, the, South Park games like capture that really well. And then when I went back to Stick of Truth, I was like, oh my God, the soundtrack for this game is so much better. It's so much more subtle. The way Skyrim is, where like Skyrim has some big, bombastic, memorable themes, right? I think a lot of the moments that's, that I remember, other than like the Dovahkiin theme, are just these little motifs that they pepper in as you're exploring the world. 
and you have this little phrase that gets stuck in your head that happened the one time you you know went to this location or whatever and it's it's just little like here's two two bars of this little ditty basically and i thought stick of truth did that really well and overall it's like a much cuter much more familiar vibe than like yeah the overwhelming orchestral like trying to be dramatic when nothing's happening kind of thing i love those games that's what i'm getting at a lot of fun yeah the first one was a lot of fun i ended up buying the second one on switch i think so it's on the back the backlog play it eventually how long did you spend with uh fracture bowl i could probably look up my exact play time how long to platinum um it's i, I couldn't have been that long it, it i mean it was probably four days of playing 17 and a half hours for main story on how long to beat so that sounds about right a little bit more bloated than the first game but more involved combat so that's probably why way more combat that can be a downside i think it was one of the things people complained about in the first game is that it didn't feel like the combat was uh people prefer the combat from the first game but i don't think they felt it was consequential enough and so they overhauled the system to to both make you you know feel challenged and invested in you know both your build and your party members but feel like you're getting your money's worth if i want to watch an episode of south park i'll watch an episode of south park this needs to be an episode of south park that i'm playing and so I think they very intentionally expanded on that in the second game. And I think most people, I imagine they would be happy with that. For me, it was, I like that it was, it was more important to the experience, which I really didn't at first a few years ago, but I really came around on it. I couldn't think of anything that it did worse in the first game. And I, and maybe 10 things it did significantly better than the first game, uh, including the visuals, which how, I don't know how you could make something as simple as first game was a 360 game. So, even the like as- the aesthetic, the feel of it, the second game was exactly like South Park. Nailed it. I went back to the first game and I was like, oh, this feels like a fan game. This isn't quite right. It doesn't quite... There are a lot of little details that were off about the aesthetic. Maybe a place and time thing too that, you know, at the, at the time when you played that, you were saying that you remembered it being more polished than it was, but... In 2014, it probably did feel like South Park because that's what South Park probably felt like with animation in 2014 times. South Park has not changed since the first the first episode was actual construction paper, and then pretty much ever since it's looked like like I'm actually I just went back and started watching it, and they have remastered all of their old episodes because they had all of the old files available, so they just like basically re-rendered everything in 16 by nine. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, clearly there is something to remaster. And so The Fractured But Whole, which, you know, great title for fart humor. Um, it, it, it's going to feel <laughs> it's going to feel more of what South Park is now because because of that. Like, inevitably, it's it's going to. So that makes sense to me. I'm sure they learned a lot from making the first game over five years and putting out the second game in three. Like, they had that pipeline sort of figured out at that point. Right. And it probably had a much bigger budget, but. I wonder how well that game did. Obviously not well enough to do a third or perhaps Matt and Trey just have enough fucking money to say no. Well, I know they've talked about like, uh, we don't want to be doing this show at 60 and they're in their fifties now. And obviously they had a ton of success with Book of Mormon and Broadway and that whole thing. Like they're clearly capable of doing what they want. So yeah, I mean, and, and again, they've said they want to do a 3D South Park game. So whether that's in the works or it's sort of a preliminary thing or who knows if it'll ever come to fruition, but um, I'm sad that we might not ever get another worthy sequel to this particular set of games. I mean, it's just like Paper Mario, man. 
first game is a great proof of concept. Second game is just polished and delightful. And then it it just dies. It's been dead. Where's the for, plot? It's some fun indie games trying to, to fill that niche, but never quite hits right in my experience. Chris, what have you been playing? Oh, Jesus. Uh, I guess it's time to have the Skyward Sword talk that I sort of like <laughs> played footsie with last week. Okay. I don't have as much like v- volcano lava left in me a week later. Um, and also, as as my loving wife reminded me, you know, it's it, it's almost 10 o'clock. And if we can hear the uh, neighbors downstairs having what I could euphemistically describe as a spirited conversation uh, once per <laughs> week, uh, then they can probably hear me yelling about Breath of the Wild. So I probably shouldn't do that. Um, Give it so right I back to a, them. I'm going to. Mm, well, yeah, I. Mm, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on my best behavior, uh, but uh, I'll, uh, yeah, I, the two big things I've been playing are Skyward Sword, which I finished, and uh, the remake of Resident Evil 2, uh, which I'm not mm. done with yet, but I have a lot of thoughts on. Um, Skyward Sword is just the worst fucking console Zelda, and at this point, like, I played every console Zelda except for Twilight Princess. There's no fucking way Twilight Princess is worse than this. There's just not. Um, no. It is the laziest Zelda in terms of in terms of like literally one moment where I reran a dungeon to get an item at the very end of the dungeon and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Like you that you couldn't like design an environment for me to do this and just a lot of backtracking into this in the same fucking areas with a lot of gimmicky crap to make it You know like backtracking, bro? Don't put words in my mouth. Chris, can I see your face? I'd love to see you. <laughs> what are you talking? <laughs> Look, this is the only setup that is comfortable. You don't get to see. You, we're, we're doing the Warriors up in fucking Kentucky right now. You just get the mic in my mouth. Anyway. Um, uh, all right, oh. brothers and sisters. <laughs> hey, all you boppers. Um, also, John Wick 4. John Wick 4 is so fucking good and has a uh, an homage to the Warriors, an extended homage to the Warriors. Um, nice. Uh, holy shit, that movie's good. Uh, we'll talk about that at the beats this weekend. Um, yeah, uh, just the reuse of areas where you are not. It's different. It's different than Metroid, EJ, son of a bitch. It's not that I'm <laughs> having to go back and, oh, I get to discover new things now. I've discovered all the fucking things. It's that they didn't want to build additional parts of the environment to interact with. So they just recycled them and gave you a really stupid gimmicky way to interact with them again that for me just didn't cut any ice. Like in the Farron Woods, when you go back and you're looking for the piece of the Triforce, they flood it and you have to go get all the like music notes that make up this Dragon Guardian's piece of the Song of the Hero. And I'm like, I almost like put my fucking controller down. I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to watch the rest of YouTube. I'm done. Except that I had realized oh, I'm close to like finishing all the console Zeldas. That's kind of fucking cool. Um, so I stuck, so I stuck with it. So that's the, 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 the big negative to me is that you retread the same areas with very little difference a lot. Uh, they send you the same areas, the whole like, oh, I'm in the sky is literally, it's, it's not even like Wind Waker in the sky, which I'm on record a number of times as saying like, it's a very barren, empty, largely uninteresting world. It's worse than Wind Waker. Because there's not anything you can really meaningfully interact with up there outside of like 
hitting the goddess cubes down on the surface world with a skyward strike so that you can come open a treasure chest that is more than likely just going to be 300 rupees that you can't use because your wallet is always full because they don't give you a lot of like meaningful shit to spend your money on. Uh. It's like the worst currency management of any Zelda even. And Zelda generally is like terrible with currency management. because it's like they still haven't figured it out. Better hope you have better hope you have a gigantic wallet or this is just a giant waste. So all that stuff's going on. I turned the motion controls off. The, the first summer I played this game when it came out in 2021, I was like, you know what? I tried the motion controls. I was like, this is awful. It wants it to be a Wii Motion Plus where it can tell that me pulling my hand down before swinging is not me swinging uh, in a way that the Joy-Con cannot, which meant that I would move my hand in order to swing the sword and it would swing in the exact fucking opposite direction I wanted it to. I was dying in the tutorial dungeon with these shitty fucking motion controls. So I turned them off. It was better, but also there's just a lot of jank because your right stick is then mapped to the fucking sword. And so I'm like waggling my sword around, hitting enemies with these like clearly directionally specific like weak points. Um, And then I have to like hold R1 or L1 in order to move the camera with the right stick. Uh, A habit which has not served me well carrying over into Resident Evil, which has twin stick controls. Um, so that's all like the, the 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 bad stuff is like, OK, this is clearly a Wii game. It was clearly designed to use all these motion controls. I have to imagine they spent so much of their time exploring all that stuff. That they were like, oh, we don't have new environments to design for all of this. So we're going to just literally like flood the fair and woods instead of giving you a new area to go like search for something substantive. All that being said, a couple like absolute like S tier bosses. Um like uh Kalactos, uh the big like mechanoid with the six arms and the like big ass scimitars that you fight uh, in the desert amazing boss design amazing boss design and used took great advantage of the uh you know that dungeon specific weapon the old zelda thing of okay i got the whip in this dungeon so i have to use the whip against the boss etc um, of like ripping three of his arms off and then getting to pick up his like gigantic like arm length scimitar that's like bigger than link is and just bash the shit out of him with it um it's a great fucking boss um some of the dungeons were the dungeons were like very bite-sized which i didn't mind but i did note that that i was kind of like man these are really short and again i don't mind it because i'm playing this game so that i don't have uh tears of the kingdom fomo um, which after seeing the special edition switch, I was like, boy, howdy, that concern was justified. Um, like the, uh, oh, in the sand sea, the dungeon, the pirate chimp dungeon. I was like, this is tight. Um, and the whole mechanic in the dungeon world broadly of the time reversion stones where striking these like specific, uh, specific stones will revert the area that they cover to a previous uh, time frame, which like activates certain devices that will help you activate certain barriers that you can't pass. And so just the way that they designed those dungeons, especially where it's like, oh, there's like light coming through the ceiling in this room specifically. Ooh, I bet I can see the time reversion stone that's up on the deck, like attached to the mass of this pirate ship. Cool. And just toggling back and forth. Like it's just, it's just really good. A really, really good um, dungeon design. That one specifically uh, was a highlight. Nick, how far did you get? I know. I think I asked you this last week. How far did you get in this game? Um, I played up a few hours. I got to the entrance of the first like real dungeon. So basically what Chris is talking about with the tutorial dungeon, I'm assuming where you 
you talk to those weird little freaks. You have to gather the small freaks for the big freak, and then you get into the the forest temple. Yeah, that's whatever. a great that's a great summary. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, and then like the last the last dungeon is just literally like a mega mix of all of the other dungeons where they do this like you know basically Dampy's um dungeon building mechanic from the Link's Awakening remake. Uh, where mm. you're like slotting different tiles in where there's like a tile that's from this dungeon and a tile that's in this dungeon and only in certain places can you shuffle the tiles around where I was like this is a cool conceit but it feels like y'all problem solving again because you couldn't afford to build a real fucking dungeon and you just wanted to like reuse assets that you already had and find a shtick to make it work so that was really frustrating it was cool to like see the lore of sort of the origins of everything. And EJ, I'm not going to get into it because I know you don't want to be spoiled. And I respect that. You'll watch a video like over the weekend. So it's fine. I probably should because I'm not going to play it before. Yeah, Tears you don't have Kingdom. time. You don't have time and you don't have patience. EJ, avoid this fucking video. J- avoid this game. You don't want to play this game. You're just going to be mad. And I can in good conscience recommend it to anybody other than like Zelda diehards. It's like a 7.5 for me, to be totally honest. I literally cannot imagine a world in which EJ would play this game no i can't i cannot he doesn't even like the good zeldas <laughs> really yeah most of the uh, uh widely acclaimed zelda games i can't fucking stand they're just boring That's and fine. tedious breath of the wild is the best zelda game though uh right ahead of wind waker <clears throat> anyway so why is it that why <laughs> sorry 3d zelda games 2d zelda games i don't have enough uh experience to speak on thank you so why is it that and this is probably, I guess it's probably just the way that the EPD teams work. I don't know. But like Metroid, which we won't dive into, but like we've all been playing this last couple weeks, is an extremely competent remake. And it's a, oh it's a franchise God. that doesn't sell particularly well. They shadow dropped it. So they obviously didn't believe in it to any you know extreme degree. So like, why did they make such a loving remake? And then we're getting... Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword, just janky ports that have had almost no work done. Maybe a little control rework, but like not meaningful enough. I just don't understand their thinking as a company. Nintendo gonna Nintendo is the fact of the matter. If you think something is a smart decision, they're gonna do the exact opposite. If you think that something makes sense, they're gonna do the exact fucking opposite. They're incompetent and they don't know what their fans want. They don't. They they're. Skyward Sword is such a lazy port. It is ugly. It is literally a Wii game on my Switch with different controls. It is disgraceful, to be completely honest with you. In terms of calling this like Skyward Sword HD, that is a joke. That is a joke. Same with uh, the Mario Collection. That it's so much potential there to to refresh those games in a in a meaningful yeah. modern way. And they just say, well, people are going to buy it anyway. Let's make it a limited time thing and trick people into giving us their money quick. Yeah. And Metroid Prime, as you said, not only comp- it's beautiful, it, it sa- they, they made it sound better than it already did. And it already sounded incredible. Uh, gave us a completely different control scheme, like remap the controls for us, gave us like three different control options. Yeah, no, I don't get it. It 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 makes it makes absolutely no fucking sense. So so that is something Skyward sort of something that I suffered through, and that is done now and is out of my backlog. It is back in its case and put into my game drawer, and I never have to. It's never gonna be able <laughs> never to. It's never gonna be able to hurt me again. Yeah, it's really weird to me that Skyward Sword they decided commanded a sixty dollar price tag when 
both Wind Waker and Twilight Princess were 40. And then now this Metroid Prime remaster is also 40. Like, I kind of get it with something like Link's Awakening. Like, that was a whole new visual style. Like, they, I mean, obviously, it's like the bones were there. They just copied the the design of the original game and put a new skin on it. But I don't understand necessarily the justification behind Skyward Sword. Like, yeah, they had to translate motion controls into a stick, but uh, that couldn't. That's that's not twenty dollars extra on top of that. And they made they made it sixty frames, and that's nice. But like, yeah, you should be able to put a Wii game and a GameCube game in sixty frames. They even did that with the Mario three D collection. Like, but I, I don't know. It's weird. They're exploiting us because they know that the only way to play this fucking game is on a Wii with a Wiimote and nobody wants to do that because it's stupid. Like that is that is why they charge $60 for this is because they knew that they could because people wanted to play this game not on a Wii. Yeah, it's just weird, though, because I mean, the same thing could be could have been said to Twilight Princess and Wind Waker. They were trapped on the GameCube and Wii and like, yeah, you literally could pop in a Wii disc version of Twilight Princess on the Wii U. It wasn't an access problem for that. They could have sold the game as is on the eShop. I mean, they did that with Metroid Prime Re- or Trilogy. Like you buy those. I bought that game on the Wii U. So it's just, it's just weird where they draw the line as far as what is worth it to them at 40 and what's worth it to them at 60. And now Tears of the Kingdom is 70. Like they know people will pay for Tears of the Kingdom. Like that's not a problem. Like we know what we're getting. They know what they're selling. That at least makes sense in my head. But Skyward Sword for 60 in 2021. Felt steep then, feels even worse now after Metroid Prime. You know what's funny to me about, like, as far as Zelda remasters go, is like Wind Waker being probably the only Zelda game that didn't need a complete rework, and that was completely rebuilt from the ground up. Every asset of that game was remade for the remake. It was not... It was not a port in that sense. It wasn't a lot of assets in that game. They made that, they remade that game in a year. <laughs> right. And, and it, the simple aesthetic, like, you know, obviously made for a good proof of concept for what they were trying to build, but they completely from the ground up remade that game. They implemented awesome motion controls that totally worked. And I'm not a motion control guy. And they like fixed a lot of some of the minor things that people griped about in that game. And Chris, I know we've we've briefly talked about it, but like you know, you're me. I'm that, people, right? Well, even people who loved the game, like we're like, yeah, the final fetch quest is like a little annoying. And if they ported a switch, they need to fix the look conversion because that made it very difficult for me to play. Was there not an option for that? If you inverted the camera, it would like uninvert the the first person view. It was something weird like that, where it was like they were disconnected from each other. So no matter what, you got the worst of both worlds. I forget you're one of those guys who flips your access like a weirdo. It's just a regular, you know, up and down inverted. I, I've heard of people who play with the X-axis inverted as well, which is like... Kooky. That's a step too far. That's I mean, crazy. I can't do that. I get it, but like, I, I can't. I can't That's crazy. imagine That's crazy. like that. <laughs> I played the infamous games on PS3 with double inversion. And I could oh not tell you, God. I could not tell you why, just for whatever reason, I've never done it since that particular game, for some reason, just made the most sense to my brain and my body in that moment in time with double inverted controls. Can't explain it. It was just a phase. You got better. <laughs> I think about this because like Nick, we've obviously at length discussed like how you like to flip your, your vertical camera controls and people argue about this online. Like you see it a couple times a year on, on the subreddits, whatever. And like, it's weird. Cause even though I think it's insane to want an inverted Y axis, like during normal gameplay, 
as soon as I get into a vehicle or like when I was playing Spyro and I was flying during the flying levels, instantly need to to invert the controls. Flight controls. But like I don't play flight sim. Like why why is that so ingrained in my brain in a way that like normal 3D movement I reject it so readily. Like I don't understand why that binary exists and why it makes sense. I think something happens in your brain when you're currently inside of a vehicle, like you feel like you're in a vehicle that when you are operating the stick, you're not thinking of it as up and down. You're thinking it as back and forward on the stick. So when you pull back, you're pulling up and that's like, that makes sense in a vehicle, but that just makes sense to me all the time. That's how I control these, these games. Like it's, I'm not looking at the stick. Like I'm not looking at the controller top down. I'm looking at it. Like it's in front of me. I don't know. I mean, it it, sure. it, it kind of loses all mental sort of gymnastics when you talk about the X axis and inverting that, because obviously like people talk about having the stick on the back of someone's head, and, like you pull it down to make them look up. But in that aspect, also you'd push it left to make them look right. And that's, I can't do that. I mean, that's crazy control inside of houses. And that's why it was impossible for me to ever look around people's houses because it'd be inverted X axis. It's nightmare fuel to me so weird i do want to get back to uh, skyward sword sometime because i can suffer through a, a mediocre game just to i mean i loved the music i mean it wasn't like top 10 you know music of all time or anything but i mean i just i like having that that vibe it's good shit i love all those the zelda soundtracks are all good so i i can at least you know content tours my way through those games are never difficult so it's just a matter of doing the thing and taking the time out. And it seems like one of the longer Zelda games as well, which is unfortunate. Uh, Chris, you do need to play Twilight Princess. You would love the dungeons a lot. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. I feel like it's only a matter of time till it comes to Switch. Uh, my buddy Nate, who's a frequent mention on this podcast at this point, uh, sent me when I finally entered my 3D Zelda phase in the summer of 2016, uh, his GameCube disc of Wind Waker and his Wii disc of Twilight Princess to keep. Um, cause he has the HD version. So I have those. Um, I would rather, yeah, it was great. I would, cause he's like, dude, this is tight. You're finally playing 3d Zelda. So I was always a 2d Zelda guy. Um, and then in one summer I just, I played Ocarina finally and I was like, okay, I think it's time. Um, anyway, I've got a spare Wii U that I will let you use for an indeterminate amount of time. If you want to play twilight princess, the best way, which is on the Wii U. And I would even beg of you to play Wind Waker, but you're too close to Wind Waker to play the HD version, probably. <laughs> uh, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, it's the best way to play Twilight Princess, though. I would need to be in the right headspace. Frankly, I would need to not have anything else that I would rather play to go back to do the Wind Waker HD. But I, I do want to give it a try for you, for you both, especially you, EJ, but for both of you, just to to see if I could sand some of the edges off my opinion of this game, which again, I played on GameCube in like 2017. Well, that was six years ago. Okay. The biggest problems with that game, you know, cause when you tell me like, Oh, the map is just so giant and empty. And I'm like, I just do not remember it that way. Like there on every map tile, there's a place to go. And half of those places have like mini dungeons in them. I think a lot of it too, is that there's only like four real dungeons in the game. So it feels like the pacing of it is very spread out. Like they're very big dungeons, but they're few and far between where, you know, Chris was just talking about in Skyward Sword, there being more dungeons, but then being more brief. 
And I think pacing is a difficult thing to nail in a Zelda like, especially that old school sort of version of it. Right. Yeah. And in the HD version, you have not only the quick sales or whatever that literally make you go twice as fast through the world. Yeah, but that's a also, great quality of life improvement because it is so ponderously, horribly slow on GameCube. <laughs> Didn't they also like hotkey a bunch of your uh, melodies that you would do your ballads so that you didn't have to like literally put in the fucking code every single time. That sounds right. Yeah, I think with the the gamepad. Oh, and man, just having the nice. gamepad map was all was also really nice. Oh, so nice, dude. And the motion controls. What's up? Why do you have a spare Wii U? Uh, so very very recently, my little brother, fourteen year old brother, decided he did not want his Wii U or any, you know, his Amiibo and his Disney Infinity, all this shit. So my mom basically packed everything up and sent it to me. And it's not like really worth selling yet. What, uh, we need to talk about what Amiibo were in that box. Oh, not, it was, he was way more into Skylander and Disney Infinity. He had a lot of Disney Infinity. Not, Amiibo, the only ones that were, I kept two Zelda ones for Tears of the Kingdom. I think I kept a Bokoblin and Breath of the Wild Link. Mm. And then he oh. had like a couple of broken Mario ones. And I sold the Mario ones. I still have a broken Bowser, I think, but like nothing spectacular. Okay. Well, I mean, they're all like window dressing for me. So I was just like, oh, if it's like, you know, Smash characters I like that I don't have yet. I wanted to have like all my mains and I don't think I... I think I quite yeah exactly Nick exactly everyone is here um <laughs> we should talk about that Wii U also because I do not have I do not have a Wii U because it was a divorce casualty uh and I would okay, love to have okay. one because it is the only Nintendo console other than a virtual boy because I'm not independently wealthy at this time uh that I don't own well I mean once you have hundreds of hours to fall down the Xenoblade rabbit hole then one of those games is stranded on the Wii U and may never get off of it so I'm sure Joey would love it if you played Xenoblade Chronicles X. Oh, I know he would. I know he would. Is that the only major and noteworthy title that is still stranded on that console other than the Zelda remakes? At this point from first party, uh, yes. Unless you want to count like the uh, NES remixes and like, yeah, you know, the yeah. smaller kind of, you know, I would even put Nintendo Land in that category for Chris, but you can't really put that on Switch because it's so dependent on the I mean, it would have to be like a multiplayer only game. Yeah. And we can only imagine how bad that would that would work. Yeah. Know? Yeah. You would need to do Nintendo Land on the Switch. You would need to have like a dedicated. Like Switch Lite as a controller, just because the whole shtick of those of those mini games is having it like one V four, basically uh, most of them With two screens. Yeah. Um, and God, that game is so much fucking fun. I know that we're, I know we're trying to downsize the shit we're bringing to the beach, but like, EJ is going to bring Nintendo Land. I I'm would already love in Portland. It. It's gonna happen. Damn it! I have a copy well, of what Nintendo about Land. What about Drew? Oh, you got a no. Land? Okay, great. No, please, I have like, a copy, just. Yeah. I'm, I swear to God, no, 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 bro. No, I'm telling you, bro. You like so Nintendo Land's great, bro. It's great, man. It's great multiplayer, bro. You just gotta give it a chance, bro. Listen to me, bro. Oh, I know. I listen. I had to on the episode 100, man. You you were making a case for Nintendo Land. It's so and Nick fun. Was like, no, not gonna happen. Please, please, someone bring Nintendo Land. Please, I uh, like. I pretty sure my copy is sealed. Ooh, 
Okay, let's let's text Drew. I know that he's got his Wii U still. Leaf probably does soon as a pack-in game, so they all have it. You sealed really? You bought the console and you're like, fuck this pack-in game. You just left it in the cellophane? That's sick. The reason I bought the Wii U was the day Smash Bros. 4 came out. What do you think I was going to do? Play Nintendo Land? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I bought it close to launch. So, so that's what That was like was two years after play. it came out. Smash what? No, Smash 4 came out. No, I, I bought it close to the Wii U launch, not close to Smash launch. I know, but two years after launch is like pretty close. That, no, it's not fucking close at all. <laughs> That's two anyway. fucking years. You could have been anyway. drinking in Nintendo Land, the glory that is Nintendo Land. Oh, yeah, Land. I missed all those wonderful <laughs> Wii U games like Nintendo Land. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever play Zombie U? <laughs> oh, man. That I sure know you is did. A, that sure is a $1 game at GameStop. Um... <laughs> Anyway, uh, let me, speaking of zombies, what a great segue. Um, I want to talk about Resident Evil really quick, um, and I'm not done with it. I just, uh, I, I never played Resident Evil, Resident Evil 4, and so when they announced the remake last year, I was like, I can finally play this game, and my buddy Nate mentioned number two, big Resident Evil guy. He's played every every core entry, most of the spinoffs. Uh, he hasn't played six uh, because of how badly it reviewed, uh, but I was telling him we should do some couch co-op some weekend for that, just like knock it out, or a hot seat or whatever. Um, was like, if you're going to play four, you really should play the remake of two. Um, cause there's a lot of information contextually that would be of service to you. Cause that's Leon's first game. Um, and he was like, oh my God, he, he's like, as it so happens, it's on sale for $10 right now on PlayStation network. And I was like, I'll bet like, you know, I've got 10 bucks. Um, so I plopped 10 bucks down, bought the resident evil two remake. I'm not a resident evil guy. This is my first core resident evil experience. I couch co-opt five like 15 years ago with a buddy. Um, and that is literally just a first person shooter that happens to have zombies. Um, this is a very fucking different experience that that game was. And I did not expect to like this game as much as I am liking it. Um, it's so moody and it's like uh, a puzzler. Yeah, they it's, it's yes. I mean, it is, it is the true definition of survival horror where you are in this location you have to yeah puzzle puzzle your way out there's a number of puzzles that are like approachable relatively challenging um resources are extremely scarce uh and these are not zombies that you shoot in the head and they're dead um you have to be really fucking mindful of how much ammunition you use against zombies or you will just not have bullets um and i'm really grateful that nate was like I'm just going to tell you right now because I know you're going to have a bad time if you don't do this and you don't know to do this and then you're going to quit and I don't want you to quit because I want you to play these games. Um, shoot a leg off because you're you literally are not going to be able to kill these zombies. You're not going to have enough bullets, but you like blow one of their legs off and you turn them into crawlers. You can navigate those environments with them crawling if you're mindful. Um, but holy shit, it looks great. It plays really great. Um, I'm stressed all the time and I love it. Like it's, it's such a weird sensation for me. Who's like never been a horror guy to just be like, Oh, in the first night I played with these, uh, Sony headphones that I'm wearing right now, which have uh, uh surround sound. Um, and so I was hearing in 360 degree real time, like the direction that shit was coming at me, which was awesome. And also I never did it again. Um, because I was like, this is, <laughs> this is yeah. making me so much more anxious, but 
oh my God, like just being stalked around, you know, the police station by Mr. X and like hearing those like big footsteps and just knowing, fuck, like I literally cannot do a goddamn thing to this guy. Like I, I, I can stun him with a headshot if I put the headshot on target. Otherwise, he's just going to knock me to the ground and take a big fucking chunk of my health off. God, I'm having such a fucking good time with this game. I'm shocked. Like, I really thought this would be a slog that I was going to have to just like suffer through to get to Resident Evil 4. Um, but I'm really liking it. I'm in the sewers right now, which is the second major area. I just got the trophy for, and I will not be platinuming this game as an aside because it requires you to do some absolutely insane shit. Like, you have to do multiple playthroughs. Multiple playthroughs, but more than that. That's annoying. Like, never accessing the item storage box in an entire playthrough is a trophy. Um, mm. Playing. So through, you started with, you started with Leon, the, the Leon playthrough then. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm only going to do Leon. Uh, I'm going to do Leon. Okay, and when I finish, fair. when I finish the game, I'll probably, I'll watch a YouTube video of Claire's a run and then I'll do Leon's B run probably, but I might just YouTube that to, so that I can see the true ending um, going into resident evil four. It just depends on how I feel. Cause I, I know there are differences in the B run. Nate said that like first playthrough in the A run is going to take like 18 hours probably, which tracks with my own experience. And the second one will take like eight. And I'm kind of like, um, I don't yeah, know. See how you're feeling when you get there. It, yeah, exactly. And I, I am enjoying myself a lot. It's a different, different play style with uh, Claire versus Leon as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I know that there were some like massive differences between their routes that like Mr. X only appeared in Claire's B route run. And now he's in, he's in every run every time they, 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 they totally changed up how that game works. A lot of the cues that they took, um, were directly from resident evil four, especially the, cam- the camera perspective. And Oh, the third person instead of the fucking dreaded tank controls, like, thank God yep. for that. I mean, dude, it was a, it was a PS one game. There was no way to do an over the shoulder kind of, I mean, that was pretty much invented by resident evil four in 2005. And that's what, really changed the trajectory for third person shooters afterwards. Most deaf, most deaf, like a seminal game, which is why I was like, Oh my God, I can finally play this game. I'm surprised you hadn't played any resident evil games. I mean, it seems like total crisp bait. That just that moody atmosphere and like the, the camp and the, the over the top horror and like the oppressive tone. Oh, I'm a chicken. I mean, shit. it's, it seems like, well, I mean, yeah, I'm I a guess fucking coward. I didn't even watch horror films until literally hereditary. Huh? Yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have marked you as that. I mean, I know EJ is a total wuss, yes. but I didn't think that that would be something that you would also be in that category too. Yeah, but but not not in my not in my adult life, not in my like late twenties and and getting into my thirties where I, I enjoy it a lot more and I can enjoy it I can enjoy it for what it does and the craft that they take to affect me in this way. Um, where I'm literally like yelping like a kick dog every five minutes and then just like laughing and just having a great time going like, damn, they got me so good of like, God, it's traumatic, dude. It, I can't, I don't understand the people who get off on that. Like, I just need to feel something, dude. I go to bed thinking about that shit. I can't do it. Chris, Chris, EJ can't even watch Stranger Things because it's too scary. I, I've watched all of Stranger Things. I just can't watch it before bed. And I put it off for a lot of years because... Sarah would watch it and I'm like, dude, there's like demons coming from the pit of hell and like <laughs> gooping everywhere. I can't do this. And then I finally got into it, but I was like, all right, we have to cut off at like 8 p.m. <laughs> Bro, I respect you and I respect your boundaries and I love that for you. Um, and you, you will not like these games. Don't play these games, Fuck but no. it's 
it's God. It's just, it's just about like, I, I mean, I don't carry it with me as a big thing. I do not have like a, a vivid, like nightmare imagination in terms of like things that if I go to bed with scary things that I'll have scary dreams. I, I don't get that. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Um, uh, personally, I don't. Ex- so lucky. Oh, no, it is. It is. Cause I could, I literally the first major, I played like the, like an hour the first time I played with the headphones. Um, and then Tiff was out of town last weekend for an audition in South Carolina. And so I was like Friday night. It's just literally, I, I did, I slammed out all my grading so that I could just hang out and play and like clean up around the house and stuff. And I played for like five and a half straight hours and I do not know the last time I sat down with a game and just played five and a half straight out. Like even Hades, I don't think I did that much consecutive playtime where I just really sank into that game and I couldn't stop. I was like, I'd get to a typewriter and check my watch and go, uh, I can get to the next typewriter. And I keep playing. I go, mm, I can get to the next typewriter. And then it's like 1.45 in the morning. And I'm like, I like kind of have to go to bed now, but and what a perfect time to have my first real Resident Evil experience in the like the dead of night all alone in my apartment um, with a storm outside like we were going to maybe get tornadoes. And so I'm like already on edge because I'm like, I might have to like grab the cats and jump in the bathtub and I'm playing Resident Evil and it's like rainy and moody outside. And I'm like, God damn, like this is literally the perfect like the universe just opened a little beacon of light and just went like, this is for you. Like you, the, you, you get this. Um, so I'm loving, I'm loving it and I'm excited to, I want to play this whole series now. Uh, I own the remake of the first one from when it was free on PlayStation plus forever ago. I will have to re up my subscription to access it, you know, uh, but I'm willing to do that. Um, I'll play four. I heard the remake of three was not great, but I'll play that. Um, I've already beaten five. Uh, I can do six with. Nate sometime hot seat at one weekend and I played, I actually did play a little bit of seven, like the first hour of seven on PSVR, uh, with my buddy who wanted to record me responding to this game as a non horror player, uh, for his YouTube channel. Um, fucking you were content. Oh my God. I was content. (laughs) I was yelling. I was swearing. I was like, fuck this, fuck that. Like just, I there's one thing about like playing Resident Evil and being like, oh, my God, I'm going to open this door and I know something is going to try and like jump and get me. And it's another thing to have a fucking VR headset and headphones on and to be staring down into a dark basement where weird fucking sounds are coming out of and trying to tell my brain this isn't real. We can totally go down there. It's fine. And my brain's like the fucking hell we are like, no, you are not going down there. But it was so visceral and I can't remember if I talked about this in a guest spot in the podcast before but it was like it made me realize the potential of VR uh, for for storytelling in games where I was like this is so much more potent than me just holding a controller looking at a screen would be uh, but I want to play I want to play seven I want to play village like I, I'm I, I have the bug I have the T virus I'm infected I want to play all of them Nick you're not a Resident Evil kind of guy are you um, I've only played a little bit of four on the Wii at a friend's house uh, the Wii not- yeah, on the, I mean, dude, the Wii version of Resident Evil Four is widely regarded as an excellent version of that game. Really? So I will not, I will not handle this slander. Okay. <laughs> it was until now the definitive version of that game. Yeah. So I mean, so that was f- fine. I have not owned any of them really on my own. So I don't know. I've never 
had like the urge to go play them. I've just sort of accepted them as being part of video game canon as far as their importance and their place. But yeah, I haven't actually gone and played them myself. Uh, EJ, have you just be, I'm just thinking about other like horror type games that I've played and stuff that I've tried to get, get you to play like dark souls is sort of like horror. it's creepy. It's weird. It's gross. It's hard. It's tense. It's very tense. It's a very tense game. Yeah. Um, suspenseful in a lot of ways in its action, but maybe not as much in its tone. But EJ, did you ever uh, play any of uh, Bioshock? Because I would yeah. classify Bioshock as like a horror game in some regards. That was maybe 2013 when I was playing through Bioshock for the first time. I put a good couple hours into it. I don't know how far I got. It's been so long. But the way people talked about it, and it was considered at the time, and, and maybe still is, like one of the greatest games ever. And I, I had this FOMO that, you know, I had a lot more back back when I was a younger man than, than I do these days. But I was like, I have to play this game. You know, Brennan, it was one of his favorite games. So I played through a couple hours, and I didn't know it was a horror game. Like, I was, uh, uh, I, I had a friend I used to play music with. I remember the first time we talked about video games, he he like literally ranted about that game for like an hour about the world building and and like you know it was I didn't I didn't fully grasp that it was a legitimate horror game. It is extremely moody, but that could mean a lot of things. And so you get in and there are like fucking sewer people stalking you and like body parts and I was not expecting it. I remember still the last day I played it and I I found I found some audio log in a room where they had like been doing surgery or something and there's like water on the floor and I was just like, this is going to fuck me up. And I went to work that night and I was like, I'm never playing that game again. <laughs> I never played it again. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I appreciate like a lot of what every game does now. Bioshock did first. So I, you know, I respect its place, but I'm just a scaredy cat. Well, it's on our list. So we're going to have to play it at some time. Oh Chris gosh. is going to make us play it. I played through with Brennan. We played the quarry together. We played until dawn together. Uh, and until dawn was fun, you know, we just kind of passed the sticks and we just were like literally lights off cram on that couch together in the dark. That's something that I, I texted you about EJ is I was like, this just, I'm having such a good time. And I could just imagine how fun this would be just with a late night with the buddies, like, playing this game and just like laughing at whoever's playing getting like jump spooked by whatever the fuck is like crawling around the sewers speaking of the sewers which is just oh my god they're so fucking disgusting like intestinal looking things and Ugh. they're like pulsating and there's this enemy that like liquors sits oh my god i literally was like the cat meme well there's a lot of cat memes but like the big eyed like <laughs> cat meme yeah, the the one cat meme that exists on the internet. Um that oh, I, I love heard that it, one. I heard yeah, that you know. I heard it for the first time and I literally froze just like just uh, staring, just staring at it and like didn't move, didn't shoot, and was just like, I know that I can get past this if I'm really quiet if I'm very, very quiet, so I need to be very, very quiet. Um uh, and at a certain point I finally was like but as soon as I'm like, okay, there's a hallway with a liquor in it and Mr. X is stalking me at the same time. And I'm like, I cannot do both of these things at the same time. Fuck you. I'm just shotgunning your ass to death. It felt really good that I had no fucking shotgun shells for like a hot minute. Anyway, this is not the point. The point is like, it will be such a fun social experience to like play these games with other people and just respond together 
be spooked together, be successful together. Um, it made me feel like weekend sleepovers in a way that like I haven't felt in a really long time, even just being by myself. I think I talked about it on the podcast before, but we got into phasmophobia last year, um, which is just like a, it's like a indie game where you're like ghost hunting uh, and you're just exploring these environments and trying to deduce like what kind of ghost is haunting this place. It's, it's a cheeky little puzzler, but like, it's pretty, pretty scary. The first couple weeks we played that game. Uh, and of course I'm alone in my office with my back to the door. So you don't know like when Sarah's going to walk through and tap me. I can't hear anything. And, and the sights and the sounds in that game were, were terrible. Even Brennan would shriek like a scared schoolgirl. Like shriek, like shrill top of his lungs. And like his roommate would get in the Discord and be like, shut the fuck up. You know, because like he's upstairs <laughs> trying to sleep or whatever. But yeah, when it's with people, I'm more apt to experience it. When I think of all the horror movies that I've seen in my life, Saw 3, either The Grudge or The Ring. I can't remember which one. The Ring, I think. It follows. Like literally on one hand, I can count how many horror movies I've watched. They've all been with people in, in a group setting. And I'm like, oh, I didn't hate that. I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it. But it was like being with people in that shared experience where like, I will, I'm not going to play. What reason could I possibly have for wanting to do that alone? Like, you know, I got plenty of other things that make me feel bad every day. I don't need a video game to also do it. Uh, Nick, you're not really a survival horror guy. Like you said, you're like into Dark Souls, which is definitely creepy. Bloodborne, definitely creepy. Yeah, I just haven't been to, uh, uh, I don't know, the the gameplay loop of it hasn't seemed appealing to me, I guess. Well, it's kind of, I mean, we've talked about Last of Us so much in the podcast, and those are really the only two survival horror games I've actually played. And that was just because the narrative was so compelling, I felt obligated to get through it. Yeah, and those did, ap- or the first one, the one I played, it did absolutely nothing for me, sure. gameplay-wise. Well, anyway, have you finally been putting in some work on that, that switch backlog of yours? I'm always, you know, kind of poking around at it. I finished uh Metroid prime, which we'll talk about eventually. We actually will. We actually will. Unlike God of war. So sorry, drew. I wanted to talk about it, man. I love you, drew, but that podcast is dead. I'm going to fully blame Chris on this one. All right. I'm not taking one for the team here. <laughs> it's, it's only because you guys have the memory of a, goldfish and cannot remember anything that happened in that game at this point i took detailed notes dude i'm always ready man i've been playing hella other stuff i don't know i'm just like i'm I'm better when it's fresh i know yeah yeah okay well yeah i mean for me it's just i've been playing a few indie games like starting stuff up seeing how it feels uh one game that i did actually get all the way through is uh, a game called blue fire it is a uh, 3d platformer with some action elements um it's it was really nice. It's a nice game. It's a good game. It's not like fantastic. It's not going to sit in my pantheon of must plays. But uh, if you're if you have the urge for some uh, 3D platformer action, I would recommend it. It feels really nice. It's got a good sort of progression and the abilities that you're getting. It's got these challenge rooms a la Mario Odyssey or uh, even like the the shrines in breath of the wild. I don't know what you would call that sort of design philosophy, but it's got like a connected world, but then there's these bespoke little arenas where you're doing a specific task. And, you know, it's kind of even back to uh, sunshine with the, the levels without flood. I don't know where that originates from, but that's just sort of my 
touchstones with it. Sounds very Bubsy 3D. Yeah, it's you know it's it's a Bubsy like um, <laughs> Bubsy like. <laughs> you heard that, it here first on the Console Crusade podcast. <laughs> Bubsy like <laughs> Bubsyvania, uh, and you know it's it's got a you get a double jump, you get an air dash, you get a wall run. You know it's 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 all the stars are here. But yeah, it was it was a fun time. EJ, I think you might like it. It's got sort of some of it also reminds me. I mean, it's the cell shading and like the character sort of dimensions, like the very short legs and the the big head. But it's very reminiscent of Wind Waker and some of the vibes. So if you want to get some like Wind Waker meets uh, Hollow Knight, I guess, because it's kind of goth uh, vibes, then, you know, it's not like in aspects of its gameplay but just in like the way it makes you feel and like some of the musical choices it makes i think that's sort of some of their that was that was on their mood board i think <laughs> this is hollow knight looking as fuck and now i'm reminded also uh nick that you recommended this to me yeah i did uh as i was playing it i was like yeah i think chris would probably enjoy this i also recommended to you death's door which i don't know if we ever really talked about on this podcast but that was something i played last year that was like a, a nice sort of top-down zelda-like more combat focused, more akin to something like Hyperlight Drifter, but also a pretty nice soundtrack. A little bit more Ghibli, like dark Ghibli in its, in its vibe and tone. I don't know. I don't know how effective that is in actually uh, portraying to you how the game is, but I, I get kind of tired of just hearing people say, this is what you do in the game. And I just sort of think about games in my past based on like the feelings that I had from them and like trying to communicate those in that way, I guess. Um, and then I've sort of been playing around with some N64. I did some, I was playing Majora's Mask and I got through the first temple and Majora's Mask is a game that I would like to finish at some time because I really love Ocarina of Time. Like that's a important game to me and I've gone back and I've started that game before and like, you know, that scratched the itch that, that gave me enough to sort of uh, get the feelings back. But Majora's Mask is a game that I never finished, and I feel like... Very different. It's a game I should. Right. Yeah, totally different. And, like, just the the loop of it is less pick up and play. Like, you really... It's a game that's hard to get back to after not playing it for a while, so it feels like a game that I should just marathon through and push all the way through. I can't really stop because then I won't know what I was doing. Whereas Ocarina of Time, you don't really need to know what you were doing because Navi's just going to tell you what to go do. And like, you're not missing too much by not doing it. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen. For a game that's like the first like adventure game in 3D, like they had to take some pretty big shortcuts in <laughs> player hints. Like, I can, I could forgive that. No, Nick, you just unlocked for me that I have, in fact, not played two console Zeldas. I have also never finished Majora's Mask. I'm hearing maybe that's a game diary. <sighs> I would probably emulate the 3DS version at that point. I, well, maybe I would even buy the 3DS version again and try to play it on there. I'd probably buy it, yeah, just to have my have my trophies. Uh, we'll see. We should we should uh, <laughs> we should do that though. Seriously, we should do that. And like EJ, if you bounce off it, fine. That that's your contribution is you bounced off it, and we'll hear you like. <laughs> Rant, rant and rave about why you bounced off it and that's fine like i don't want you to i'm not asking you to play anything for a while after you committing to completing metroid prime i gotta train these muscles man because if we're gonna start doing game reviews on the internet for people to hear proper reviews uh 
which will then, you know, impact how we do the podcast, not just like uh, me rambling for 18 minutes about nothing specific about South Park. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm going to have to play games and sometimes that means I'm not going to love the game, but but I get I get your meaning like yeah, I don't really want to spend the majority of my time doing things I'm not enjoying because I do enough of that in my day to day that uh, you know my my leisure time should be spent doing something I like. The majority of the time. I want to play a song so I can go back in time so I could not hear that. I, I feel like I, like I know Majora's Mask isn't really for me. It's like it's a little obtuse. And it's tedious, but I understand why it is so beloved because it did something so unique and so interesting uh, with so little. Because I mean, it was all it was an asset flip. Basically, they made it in a year or whatever. They said, okay, instead of just like plopping you in this quote unquote amazing world, like let's really dig deep on an exciting gameplay mechanic and build it around that, which I respect a hell of a lot more than what Zelda has mostly just done for. 20 some years in the 3d space which has mostly been really fucking boring to me so but i'm shocked you've never beaten it i'm gonna guide it for sure just as an aside because i know that it, i know i'm gonna get frustrated and that's i think why i stopped the that that summer of 16 when i was doing so many zeldas i got geez maybe not even a third of the way through it and was like i'm fucking confused i'm fucking lost i don't know what i need to do so i'm just gonna guide it this time me and a metroid game <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this uh, Metro's Mask is not really in my from what I remember because I've only gotten as far as the second like real dungeon and finished that I believe. So I'm not as far as I've gotten in the past before. But it's not a game that you really need a guide for. If you've played a Zelda game, you should be able to you know get figure it out and get your way through it. It's more of a you would want a guide if you want to get all the masks, Chris, because that is not something that you would sort of stumble your way into you got to get the fierce deity mask like if have you really beaten majora's mask if you don't have all the masks i ask you this i mean maybe if only the only way you've beaten is if you've beaten it without all the masks maybe if you're a real gamer you won't need the fierce deity mask and give yourself easy mode <laughs> that stupid worm fight or whatever you need that for wow but yeah i, I would like to uh continue playing majora's mask but i, I mean i'm torn between more recent games and then i also started at metroid fusion to feel that out again and that's such a great game so i've already gotten myself into the second sector so it's like no i'm not going to replay fusion for the millionth time like i should actually play something i haven't played before as opposed to the comfortable thing that i've i know that i've done you should play whatever makes you feel the best after a long day at work even if that's replaying the same thing again yeah, but I mean, a lot of the time I just end up playing nothing. And then it's like, well, now what do I have to show for my my, my leisure time? Scrolling on Facebook or Twitter is a lot easier or Reddit is a lot easier than actually actively doing things. I I know I am guilty of wasting hours doing nothing. Yeah. And like a little bit of that is fine. But if I can train myself to not be as idle, then. Right. I mean, sure. Playing a video game. It is like the peak of being idle. But it's a lot more engaging, and I find it more uh, validating and rewarding than like. How good do you feel after a three-hour session of scrolling on your phone? You you're basically sitting at a baseline, but after a, a three-hour session of a video game, I feel like I've accomplished something in that game. Which you know, it, it's tr it's tricking a different part of my brain, but that's just 
as I've heard before, that's just what emotions are. It's just brain chemicals. Well, so. and scrolling, scrolling is also <laughs> part of why it's so fucking damaging and destructive. Social media is, is because it never activates the reward center. There's never any moment as you scroll through social media where your the reward centers of your brain activate, give you a hit of dopamine and tell you, you did the thing. So you can just doom scroll forever. No, it's, it's the opposite. It's, it's constant dopamine, which is a very bad thing. I disagree completely. And I think the science disagrees completely with that. Like that. Hey, it's, I it's, listen to Andrew Huberman. Okay. I just deep dived on this t- particular topic. Like last, I month, don't know right? who the fuck that is, but he's a neuroscientist. Okay. Well, good, good for fucking him. <laughs> Okay, fine. Whatever. Like whatever. But there's no there's no point in which it's like, okay, it's done. Like you have done a task. You could literally right. just keep doing it forever and your brain will never go, "Okay, we did the thing. You can stop." It's the worst Ubisoft checklist of all time. Well, you're right about it being oh. a baseline. Like you're always right here and the way I look at scrolling is like a drug addict or an alcoholic who's like, "Yeah, you can keep drinking, but at some point you're not feeling good anymore. That those dopamine hits aren't doing what they're supposed to do. You're just maintaining it's like eating a bag of potato chips. It is not nutritious. It is not filling. You love that you're eating it, but when you're done eating it, you're like, A, I want more, and B, like I'm not satisfied. You know? That's social media. I get it. Whereas a game, you are working towards something and you are achieving a task and you feel good because you did the thing. And that's what makes games unique in a way that like, because some people will be like, oh, turn the games off. You should go read a book. I mean, they are different, but like, how is a book better than fu- than playing a fucking video game? Very different, not comparable at all. Um, not comparable at all. There is a, a certain sense of satisfaction of fin- finishing a book, and I, I don't know. You know, it's the it's the mental movie for me, where like you know, reading is great. Um, in a way that like a video game is gonna play that movie for me, but I am going to make that movie myself while I am reading it, just unintentionally in in my in my subconscious, whatever I visualize. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm saying the people who claim have it that, is. yeah, it's like you know, a, vi- a video game is engaging so many parts of your brain at any. Yeah, given it's a time. limp dick, limp dick take for sure. Very flaccid yeah. take to be like, go read a Very book. Flaccid. It's like okay, well. Yeah, it is It is cold take, ice cold. This just totally reminded me, you guys getting all philosophical. Um, we recently received uh, an email. Oh <laughs> no way. Yes. I don't get these, and I don't. I got to turn alerts on. Remember, uh, you, dear listener, can reach us at feedback at consulcrusade.com. Yeah. Again, feedback at consulcrusade.com. Maybe this mystical Nate can show his, himself, or maybe this is just a beautiful mind. Uh, creation of Chris's. We don't know. This Nate person could be a pure fiction. We don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I shall read this to you. Hello, Console Crusade Podcast. I am an avid gamer and have been playing video games for as long as I can remember. Recently, I have been hearing a lot about how video games can be addictive and have negative effects on mental health. While I understand the concern, I find myself questioning the validity of this claim. Are video games truly addictive or is it just a matter of personal responsibility and self-control? I believe that video games are just like any other form of entertainment, such as watching movies or reading books. People have the ability to enjoy them in moderation and without any negative consequences. However, there are some who argue that certain video games are designed to be addictive and can have negative impact on mental health, especially in young people. So my question for your podcast is, are video games truly addictive or is it a matter of personal responsibility and self-control? I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this topic and any research or studies that support either side of this argument. Thank you for your time. 
and I look forward to hearing your insights. Best regards, ChatGPT. <laughs> ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I asked ChatGPT to send us an email, and uh, that was what they spit out. This is fucking hilarious. Not only how insanely topical this accidentally was, because I didn't know this existed. We just went on this tangent. This is uh, that's amazing. I like that it says it wa- the the AI wants researcher studies to support either side of the argument. Well, I, I, we ain't got none of that for you, Mr. Robot. <laughs> no. But um, halfway through this email, I was like, okay, Tiffany, I get it. I'll stop playing Hades so much. Like, <laughs> like just, just, just fucking text me next time. <laughs> uh, okay. The robot asked a good question. Let me answer your question with a question, sir. Oh, or good. madam. Don't know. God, don't don't do that. Okay, okay, listen. Asking if a video game is addictive is like asking if food is addictive. No, because we can can't live without food. No, no, no. no what no. the fuck no. kind of metaphor is that, Ege? Some foods are addictive via several chemical processes. Some foods can be addictive if like it said, a self-control thing. Some games are designed to like literally get that boomer brain going and just smack in the freaking slot machine over and over. Yeah. Some games are designed like that, but by and large, I think it's a ridiculous thing. And people ask those, I know that's a robot who asked that question, but listen, that is something that people ask and they, they want to demonize video games in this very broad way. And it only ever comes up when somebody with a automatic assault rifle has fucking killed people that they want to bring up like, Oh, video games are addictive. Looking at you, then Senator Hillary Clinton. It's 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 always it's always to obfuscate some other conversation that's happening, like defunding mental health resources when Ronald Reagan closed the mental hospitals. And we've never we've never gone back to like proper like supporting of of mental health care for people or when there's a mass shooting and they want to pin it on someone other than the fucking NRA. And the like mass distribution of guns through this kind of like, well, like three guns to every human. I think like the ratio of like owned guns in the United States is, but they need somebody to pin it on and video video games are a great boogeyman because boomers don't understand it. This is actually something that I was talking about just at the end of last year with a guy that I know and work with. And he recently had a kid, his first, and he's like, like low key, pretty traditional guy. I he's he's religious, and I know he's conservative, and he works in a very liberal industry. So it's it's always kind of funny to sort of read between the lines and see where he's coming from, even though he's not very forward about these kind of things. He's definitely a gun guy. He's always packing. He's always got a concealed carry. Why? Why on earth? You you work in a, you work in the same industry. This this guy's like an audio video editor. Uh, no music. Music and he feels like as if a fucking gun on him at all times. Write a fucking hey, listen, song about got, it. Grow a pair. Grow the fuck up, and stop pretending like that makes you a real fucking man. Just grow up. Don't get me wrong. I am definitely a proponent of concealed carry. I've got no problem with it. I definitely think we need more checks and balances. But that's a whole different conversation for a different podcast. But we had this conversation because I talk a lot about, like, as cool as he is, and like we are, and like we, you know, we talk, but. At the end of the day, like it is very much a client relationship kind of thing, right? And so there's there are these th- these boundaries that like you're not kicking the walls down because you know sometimes you smile and nod and vice versa, right? But I always sort of got this silent judgment from him, and he this is a guy who grew up he grew up on the Smash Bros and the Mario Karts, and we've talked about video games, but he is like very anti video game in his 
quote unquote old age. He's like 28 or 29. But um, he's been married since he was fucking 20. You know, like one of those guys. Like You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, <laughs> and so it's not exactly a holier than thou thing, but it is kind of like a dude, you're 30, you're playing video games. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm playing fucking video games. Yeah, you're 28 years old and you feel like you have to have a fucking pistol in your pants at all times. Like pot <laughs> calling whatever. the kettle, baby. Pot calling the kettle. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little weird. And everyone, listen, everyone finds their meaning in, in, in different places and everyone lives the life, hopefully, that they want to live. Whatever. It's, if Whatever gets his rocks off. You know, I think about some of the best times that I had as a kid and it is playing games and not playing games by myself. I don't have any of these grand moments that I can recall that I was sitting alone in a bedroom playing games. It is the way games were an avenue for me to connect with people, whether that was me and my little brother or whether that was me and my best friends. You know, Nick and I, we always talk about, you know, building blanket forts and, you know, running Mario Kart. And of course, we all have a nice playing Smash Bros and whatever the fuck. And I said, Something to the effect of, without totally being up in his business, but something to the effect of like, like I hope your baby like grows up to like enjoy video games like the way that you did. And he's very much we limit screen time even passively. Like we're not a video game family. And I'm like, even this kid grew up on video games, and I don't know why he became so demonized. But I said, what's the difference between playing a certain kind of game and and reading a book? And not to mention that a kid needs to learn how to exist in a digital age and to be like, oh yeah, like no screen time. He's going to have to learn all those things or he's going to be a fucking boomer. You can't have that. But anyway, there was a study that was done and released by the National Institute of Health. It was probably November last year, but it talks about how video games look to be associated with better cognitive performance in children. And it completely makes sense, right? You're reading, you're problem solving, like you're engaging all these different parts of your brain simultaneously, the audio visual aspect alone, it completely makes sense. And that, uh, I think the study was like a few thousand children that they looked at, right? Of course you can cherry pick data and look at any study that supports what you want to say, but like the research is finally being done, you know, on these things. And instead of, Oh, video games make people violent. You know, it's not the fact that we're like putting machine guns in children's hands for Christmas cards it's it's the video games, right? Yeah, and not to like wax too philosophically about this because I mean we we've been chatting for a minute and it's been a great conversation. Don't get me wrong. Um, that was what you know, and listeners, most listeners know. You know, I, I I'm I'm a theater maker. That's what I that's what I do for a living. Is I make art in a visual medium. I I train artists in a visual medium, actors, directors. Um. Games are what unlocked my creative imagination in a big way. Uh, and I don't think I would be the, I don't think I would have the dramatic imagination that I do now if it wasn't for things like Metroid Prime, like dropping me into this world and letting me like soak it up and learn about it and and how you build a world in a way that someone comes and interacts with it and wants to know more about it and wants to dive deeper into it. And I mean, I have, I have a, <laughs> I have a box, I guess for lack of a better term, full of all of my handwritten Metroid fan fiction from when I was in fucking middle and high school. <laughs> oh no. And, oh, and no. but fast forward, yeah. like, yeah, first of all, like, oh no, and hell yeah, those are both incredibly true statements. Like, let me just say that <laughs> first and foremost. Um, 
But, you know, fast forward to me, my last year of college, and I'm a produced playwright for the first time. Like, that is a dotted line that goes directly from me writing all this fucking handwritten Metroid fan fiction, and that is a dotted line that goes directly back to me playing Metroid Prime on the Nintendo GameCube and having a moment of, like, me sitting alone in my bedroom and playing this game and just being like, God damn, I didn't know it could be like this. So I'm not surprised at all to hear those things, and I'm glad to hear those things. And I know that there is value in limiting screen time if for no other reason than the internet is a horrible fucking place. Oh, sure. And developing I, good habits and like interacting with anything in your life in a healthy manner, like, sure. But to, to, to villainize any particular aspect of the things you're acting with. It's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, yeah, especially for a fucking concealed carry 2A, don't tread on me, fucker. <laughs> I'm triggered, Chris. This is where you find out just how far left left really is. <laughs> Look, my fucking smart car is named Bernie. Draw your own conclusions. Hey, man, I, I imagine you and I have voted very similar over the last decade. I'm oh, still, I bet we have. I'm still pro 2A, and uh, it's, it's funny. A lot of that nuance gets lost, but but it's funny how like you hear like you hear that this person I was talking to is a certain way, and you fill in the gaps, and you're like not far off. Like that's, that's the part where you're like, that's a little absurd that you could just sit there and just Tetris your way into this guy's personality. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty close. We all know that guy. (laughs) Right. right. We're all from Gresham fam. We know like six of that guy. I work with an entire company of that guy. He's not quite the caricature that a lot of those guys are. That's because you have a working relationship with them. But if you were to argue with them on the (laughs) internet, then it would probably turn into a different thing. Oh man. Anyway, really quick. I just wanted to chime in and say that it's disingenuous at best to compare video games to other consumed media like books and movies because they are interactive and ej you mentioned it earlier yourself that there are many games that are just the the slot machine that you're just pressing the button to spin the wheel and see what you get and i think there needs to be research into what kind of effects those have on the brain because if it is to the extent that a gambling sort of interaction is then i think it should be under more scrutiny totally but also i agree that with what chris is saying that the ones that have the desire to police these things more strictly also are coming from a place of bad faith so it's gonna have to be a self-regulation kind of thing for it to be something that i would be approving of and we're seeing that a little bit now where the esa who is in charge of the srb which is the not government mandated, but self-regulatory ratings board uh, is trying to enforce a stricter ratings on games that have what could be perceived as gambling elements like loot boxes and the like. Um, Something that you could give real money for to get a thing that you don't know what you're going to get should be a restricted element in a game. And I think that is not too crazy to say, but we've also grown up in a, a culture that, trading cards and like random card packs are like weirdly just accepted, even though like a Skinner box is gambling, but it also isn't like legally. So it's like, haha, it's not legally gambling. So yeah, a little kid, you could buy this Pokemon pack and maybe you'll crack a Charizard and you'll feel those good juices and maybe you won't, but you'll still have the desire to crack more because that's the loop. And that is concerning. But I also, there's, there's multiple aspects like, 
the addictive video games and the way that video games interact with your brain and chemicals and violent tendencies and like the desire to interact with violence. I don't know how much correlation there is there and there's studies supporting and like saying it's not true. So like you said, EJ, you could find any study that supports whatever belief you have, but I don't think that's like a reason to stop looking into it. So there's just a lot of, a lot of things we don't know with how brains work and how video games interact with them because we're interacting with the video games too. But all that to say, I think there should be more regulation as far as the gambling aspects of video games. But at what point does some slimy politician say, Oh, if a game has any random chance in it whatsoever, then it's gambling. Like then what dragon quest is gambling because there's random encounters. Like, you know, you could really take that to the logical conclusion and make it so that every video game is gambling and then they're just getting money off of it because they, that's what they want. They just they want more money. Are you paying per encounter, though? I mean, like, obviously, like, that's kind of a... You paid $60 to buy the game. Well, yeah, but that, I know, mean, that's a disingenuous argument. Like, loot boxes are, like, pretty demonstrably slot machines. Or, you know, there's, there's free-to-play games where you're not actually buying spins. You're buying chances to surpass the ad because they're ad-based games. Like, it's all you know, different fucky ways to try and convince you to get your money, but it's also just wasting your time. Like time is money and time wasters are, you know, it's very circular and people will try to surpass the system in any way they can. And yeah, it, there are definitely, I mean, just talking about how Majora's mask or Metroid prime or any of these games that we play that, inspire our creativity and make us want to exist in a different location that's all well and good but those aren't the only video games there's also you know cookie clicker and weird bullshit on mobile that are just there to extract your time or your money so they're not we can't paint with the same broad brush that the people we are saying we don't like do and saying that all games are good so it it's a nuanced sort of topic and right it's difficult to really have a cohesive one-size-fits-all approach to it well and you know the same questions have been asked about television they've been asked about film they've been asked about fiction literature they've been asked about the stage like rock and roll (laughs) elvis was shaking his hips and people were talking about how america was coming undone at the seams you know it's a timeless conversation and i imagine video games will not be the last thing we talk about i mean right now on the news in between donald trump getting arrested uh, they're talking about you know how TikTok should be banned. You know, I mean, it might. There, there's, there's a few legs for that argument to actually stand on the TikTok thing. I don't want to get into that. the TikTok thing. I don't want to get into one of this podcast, but like that is actually legitimately a question that that should be asked at this moment in time. Um, but that's not the subject of this podcast. It's video gaming. Um, Nick, how dare you introduce nuance into this conversation? Like, <laughs> God forbid we hey, don't don't paint- blame me. Blame the AI. That's true. Uh, like Chat GPT, they're coming for us all. And maybe that's the moral of the story is we should just uh, prepare for the domination of our robot overlords. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Chris, I know you, you probably, you guys probably both have to have to go here. So I guess I'll wrap this up. I was going to, I was going to tell a story about how I've been listening to old episodes of the podcast, but that can wait until we're in person together this weekend, which in four short days, we will all, the entire group chat will be together I am hauling a metric fuck ton of recording gear so that we can talk Mario movie. And then I don't know who knows how the weekend is going to go. Maybe we split off. We can talk about X, Y, and Z. Maybe we can do this, do that. Maybe we just 
put them up around the kitchen and we like don't even formally chat. We just kind of hang out and see what comes of it. I can edit it down. <laughs> you hey, know, if, who you knows? Wanna, if you want to do that, you fucking go for it. I just wanted to put on air so that there's a little pressure on us that I was promised a rewatch of the 1980s Mario film so that oh, we could fuck. do it so that we could do a compare and contrast. Oh, my uh, actually, I believe that came out in 1990. Uh, so what the fuck ever. <laughs> 93. Wow. That was even later than I thought. That is wow. Funny. Really? No, that's wild. I was wrong as fuck. Thank you. Uh, dude, those uh, boots are in face off ah, in the prison. Ah, such a good movie. I haven't watched that movie since uh, John Aldrich and I bought a copy at a Walmart for $5 and watched it one night. <laughs> Face Off Rules. I think my Mario mom, movie rules. I think mom has the Mario Brothers movie on DVD. I could just borrow it from her probably. Well, in any event, we'll have to figure out where it's streaming or, or uh, yeah, find a copy of it. But in any event, we'll be together. We'll get some podcast con- content out of it. Uh, so whatever comes of that, that'll be fun. Mario movie impressions have been pretty positive. Uh, no, they have not. <laughs> we are apparently looking in very different places. Everybody that I follow has basically been like, it is a really fun movie. Kids and adults are both going to enjoy it. Chris Pat has been villainized. So we'll see if that's the case. The audience score is like 50%. Yeah, that's going to say it is. It is getting crucified on Rotten Tomatoes. Like audience and critic reviews have been horrible. Chris Stuckman, to his credit on YouTube, who's somebody who generally like his takes line with my own takes um, has said like he felt comparable to it about Sonic. He's like, it's not great. It's good. I am glad that it exists. I enjoyed myself and that's all I could really ask for. Uh, but no, the critical consensus has not been positive at all. Wow. Well, see, I didn't know the review embargo lifted. The, all I had saw was all of the outer theater reactions two days ago. And I was like, this is pretty positive. I have expectations that are totally fine. I just want to hear some good music and to have the have the the Leonardo DiCaprio moments, which that's all I'm expecting. Yes, Leo meme. I literally said that to my buddy where it's like, I'm just here for the Leo meme moments where I'm like, Easter egg, Easter egg, Easter egg. I just don't understand what people want out of animated films. So I'll be curious to go into this as someone who like generally doesn't like cartoons anyway, because they all are like pretty shitty in general. You know, I haven't watched a Pixar movie that's meant a goddamn thing to me and I don't know how long. It's just fucking cartoons. So, yeah, I'd be curious to go into it. I, I did not realize the reviews embargo had lifted and they were that bad. So, anyway, we'll see. This is going to be so funny. Chris and I are just going to fucking tear this movie apart on, on Saturday. <laughs> like, I'm going to love it. I'm probably going to cry. I'm probably going to cry more than once. Just of like, goddamn, look at this cool ass thing they did. Like, they're fucking doing Mario Kart on Rainbow Road. That's fucking dank. Like, yeah. the, the way, the lynching way they, they approach Rainbow Road. <laughs> Don't get you know me started. What? Chris and I might come to blows. Just because I have David Lynch's dick four inches down my throat doesn't mean that I am always going to cite that. Look, that was less of a dig at you and more of a dig at the way EJ perceives you. Not not you, Chris, but it's Lynch fans in general. Call me, Uh, call me. This is the Cause of Chris A podcast. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Wrap it up in a bow. Four inches. Like, give the man some credit. God damn, Chris. He's like 85, 86. How much could he possibly still have?